A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And we're here to continue with part two. We left off part one of stories of Yeshiva Sner Yisrael in Baltimore and Rev Ruderman and the other people involved in the Yeshiva. So we're here back with part two. And we're going to talk today about the, um, about the, Founding of the Ner Yisrael Yeshiva, um, of R- R- Ruderman coming in 1933 to Baltimore, and he's hired at that point to be the rabbi of the Teferis Yisrael Shul. And the deal that he struck with the shul was that he would be able to use the shul for a yeshiva. And uh, he started with five students in the yeshiva, in the shul. He, uh, at one point, talking about his early years, the struggles, he had a foray into Kashrus. Uh, during those early years when he was a rabbi and struggling to start the yeshiva. He was also involved in kashras, and for a short time he was giving a heksher to eske meats, which um, which later on becomes the official hot dog of the Baltimore Orioles. So you're talking about the Ruderman originally gave that heksher. And so in the starts, uh, he, start, he starts the yeshiva with five students. He names the yeshiva for a bistrol salanter, and and his wife, Rebetzin Ruderman, the daughter of Sheftel Kramer, she gave the name. She decided on Ner Yisrael. And she was very involved in those early years during the struggles, the financial struggles, and helping to raise money. Um, during those early years, actually, Reb Shraga Feivel Mendelovich, the, the uh, Menal of Torah Vedas, the legendary builder, architect of Torah in the United States, so during the 1930s and 40s, he would come down to Baltimore once a year on behalf of Taravadas to fundraise. And during those visits, he would always stop by a Ruderman and Aristrell, and he would always leave a $500 check. Again, during the Depression years, you're talking about someone who came down to fundraise for his own yeshiva. And he did this every single year. And that's how much Rabbi Shraga Feivel Mendelovich loved Tyra and building Tyra. Uh, that's also a big testimony to that. So the um, so uh, um, the uh, early years are a big struggle. Um, is before Rabbi Neuberger came to join the yeshiva, so it was even more difficult. 
um, during those years to be able to to build it, uh, to build it up. The financial struggles um, were such that sometimes he barely had money, had any money for to buy food at home. Um, but he had a real vision of what he wanted. Uh, many of the locals in those early years in Baltimore were not so excited about the idea of having a yeshiva there. So Ruderman would actually go around to different shuls and give speeches to the locals, balabatim to the men. And the Rebetzin, Rebetzin Ruderman would give speeches to women. They would have get-togethers. And one time she came back from one of these uh, gatherings. She came back, old, her clothing were all dirty because they literally threw vegetables at her. Um, because they weren't interested in her message and what she had to say. So, in fact, during those early years, Reb Shimon Schwab was a rabbi in the Glen Avenue uh, synagogue, and and Reb Shimon Schwab actually gave shir in the yeshiva during those early years, which perhaps we'll get to. It was a short-lived, uh, didn't work out so well, so they got along great. Reb Ruderman and Reb Schwab got along very well, but the his role as a rabbi in the yeshiva didn't work out so well. But Ruderman and Rav were once walking down a street in Baltimore, and a Ruderman points to a tall building, and he said, one day the dorm of, this is the 1930s, 1936, 1937, three, four years after the yeshiva started. And he said, one day the dormitory of Neri Yisrael is going to be as big as that building. And Rav Shimon Schwab said that he started laughing. And Rav Ruderman turns to him and says, you're laughing? He said, you don't think that Neri Yisrael will one day be as big as Slabatka? You don't believe that? And Reb Ruderman had that vision. Now, um, things got really got going when, when, when uh, Herman Neuberger joined the yeshiva. And that happened when he came along as a refugee. He was, a, he was German, um, and he had been studying at the Mir Yeshiva in Poland, Reb Naftali Neuberger. And he came as an 18-year-old refugee from Germany, um, and they became the best of partners. They were perfect partners. Reb Neuberger was able to put together a building during the Depression years and the early war years. He was able to somehow get the original building for the yeshiva. And keep in mind, there was this was not uh, nepotism that he got hired, because he got hired way before he was married to Rebetzin Neuberger's sister, to the other Kramer uh, daughter, um, but he came originally to the yeshiva, and within six months, he had the keys to the office. Reb Ruderman saw the potential that 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 someone like Reb Neuberger had, taking care of things, administrative, building it up, the vision that he had, the activism, the everything that he was able to do. And later on, he married his sister-in-law. But Reb Ruderman was eternally grateful to Reb Naftali Neuberger because he took the roles that normally Rashi Yeshiva ha- usually had to do, and, and Rerudim was able to trust him totally with everything, with fundraising, with running the Yeshiva, with every possible facet of the Yeshiva. In fact, Rebaran Cutler said that I'm jealous of Rerudiman because he has his Deitscher, he has this German, Herman Neuberger, who was able to take care of everything and take that load off of Ruderman that he didn't have to take care of all that part of the yeshiva. So Herman Ubiger was one who really uh, ran the show there, and the two were worked in tandem with everything, the perfect partners. In fact, um, Herman Ubiger was the one who recommended Reb David Kronglas to become the Mashkiach of Neri Yisrael. He knew him from the Mir. Reb David Kronglas was also an Altamir. He was much older. And he suggested that he should become the Mashgiach before World War II broke out. 
in the late 1930s. Now, of course, the, then the war broke out, and Rudolf Krumglas ended up in Shanghai with the Mir, so he didn't make it to Neri Stroll until after the war. But all this was already in the making in the early years of the yeshiva, right there in the beginning, that, um, that all this was being planned. So, eventually, the, it started off as a yeshiva. Eventually, in the 1950s, a high school was opened. In the 1960s, they add a koil to the yeshiva. And in 1969, it's so large, the yeshiva grew so much that they move out of Baltimore. They move to this huge campus in Pikesville, right outside the city. And in the, during the 1960s, when they already decided that they have to sell the old campus and move to this and buy this new place and move to a new, much bigger place. So they actually had two potential buyers. There was a Catholic sp- school that was interested in buying the old building and also the state of Maryland. And the Catholic school offered, made a better offer. They offered more money. Or Ruderman didn't know what to do. So he sent Rabbi Neuberger to Eretz Yisrael. They actually flew over to Eretz Yisrael and to ask Rabbi Chatzkel Abramsky, who was considered at that time one of the great leaders of the Jewish people, a great Torah scholar, a great uh, Gadol leader, and uh, many people held him in very high esteem. And, and Raftali Neuberger flies into Eretz to ask his advice personally, who should they sell it to? So Chatzkel Abramsky said, I need three days to think it over. Again, he took the question very seriously. And after that, he came back with his answer. He said, you have to sell it to the state because it would be a chil Hashem to sell it to the Catholic school. And that's what they did. And uh, interesting to note that they made, a, they made a very big celebration in 1983 for the 50th anniversary of the yeshiva. And it was pointed out that many of the founders of the yeshiva were still around. Ruderman was still around. Um, and some of the early rabbis, obviously Herman Neuberger was still around, and uh, a lot of the people who were involved from the beginning were still there in 1983 uh, to celebrate it being around for half a century. One of the interesting things that was part of the yeshiva from the beginning was the fact that they allowed the students at the yeshiva to attend college. Now, how did that develop? So, in fact, most of the yeshivas in New York at that time, Tarvadas and Chaim Berlin, they allowed also the yeshiva students to attend college um, at nights or whatever it was. Um, and it was more of like, a you know, the yeshivas turning the other way, which is how it was like in Neri Stroll in the early years. It was seen that in the United States in the 1930s, there was no other way to have a yeshiva. Yeah, you have to allow them to do it. So it was like a don't ask, don't tell situation. Uh, you, you, uh, you were very unofficial. And eventually, in Neri Stroll, was one of those places that it was made official, but that only became in the 1950s. So it's a very interesting story about how the relationship that the yeshiva has with college attendance developed over the years. Eventually became very official and regulated. You have a waiting period, like the, like the freezer in Lakewood. So you have the freezer in Neri Stroll that you have a waiting period. In fact, there's a, a freezer in several yeshivas. A, 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 uh, in the mirror, and takes the mirror, mirror in Yerushalayim. It takes a while to get into the dormitory. In Brisk, it takes a while to get into a shear. In Lakewood, it takes a while to be allowed to start dating. And Nerishol takes a while to get to go to college while you're in the yeshiva. So every yeshiva has their thing. What you have to wait for, the important things you have to wait for, it doesn't come easily. But in in any event, 
But when the early rules that was instituted was that college is only twice a week, you're only allowed to attend college twice a week at nights or whatever it was, and you have to have permission from either the Rosh Hashiva or the Mashkiach. So, of course, many of the guys would ask the Rosh Hashiva for permission for twice a week, and then they would go to the Mashkiach and ask for permission for twice a week. So yeah, you're able to go four times a week. Um, but... Uh, but 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 how did it become official? So um, originally, originally, like I said, they were uh, they were uh, it was just like uh, you know looking the other way, and then eventually in the 1950s things changed. And, and Herman Neuberger arranged made a landmark arrangement with Loyola University that they would get credits. They would accredit the yeshiva. For, for, you know, rabbinical school, and they would get college credits for their studying in the yeshiva, and then they would continue their studies at Loyola afterwards. That's when Rabarin Cutler was very upset about that situation when he heard about it, that how could the yeshiva make an agreement with the university? But that's what they did. And they made that agreement. That's, that's what Herman Neuberger was able to broker that agreement with Loyola. In fact, uh, this is in pre-Hopkins days. In the early years of the yeshiva, they didn't go to Maryland or Hopkins. They um, That only came later. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it could be in the 1930s and 40s, there might have still been numerous clauses in uh, in in places like Hopkins that, you know, it was not easy for Jews to get in. Believe it or not, they had that in American universities uh, in the early part of the 20th century. But in any event... They, the place that the Neri Strel guys went in the early years was Loyola University. They would even quip. They would say, They would, you study Tyre of during the day, and then Viloyola. At night, you go to Loyola University. Um, so, so the, uh, what happened was that in the 1950s, Rabbi Shmuel Yaakov Weinberg, who was later on the Rosh Hashiva, Neri Stroll succeeded his father-in-law, Rav Ruderman, when he passed away in 1987. So Rabbi Shmuel Yaakov Weinberg married the Rav Ruderman's only child, Rabbi Sinchana Weinberg, um, and and he gets involved. He was a student of Chaim Berlin, of Rav Hutner, and he came to the yeshiva and he, and he asked of his father-in-law to resolve the college issue at this point. The, don't ask, don't tell is not an approach, it's not an official approach. Reinberg said it has to be yashar, it has to be an official position. It can't be that it's accidental and that we're just turning uh, the other way all the time. So Rav Ruderman agreed, and they actually convened a Bezdin. This is in the 1950s, an incredible story, that the, the, the side of college is going to be official. Where there's no looking back now, we're putting it on the table, everything's out, transparency. Who is on this Bezdin? So it's unclear. There's different versions. It seems that Rubin Grzovsky, who was the senior uh, Slabotka, uh, Talmud of the Alter Slabotka, that Ruderman highly respected in those days, was still alive. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky seems to have been on the Bezdin. It could be that either Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was, or maybe Rabbi Lazer Silver. It's, I'm not sure. I heard different versions from different people. But who, are, who, is, who is the third person on the Bezdin? But they made it official. Now the, that college is allowed, and you go to it as long as it's regulated, as long as it's under control, and then it became officially part of uh, of the yeshiva. And um, so we'll talk a little bit. 
try to get to some of the other incredible uh, personalities who were part of the Shiva. I just mentioned Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, who was his own, Rudiman's only son-in-law, married Rabbi Tzinchava Weinberg, who, who uh, lived on past uh, her husband. Rabbi Tzinchava Weinberg lived for many years uh, after Rabbi Weinberg uh, also himself passed away, and she was a, uh, a big, had a big say in the Neri Yisrael policy and history uh, behind the scenes like many Rebetzins uh, of uh, Rashi Yeshiva throughout the generations. But Shmuel Yaakov Weinberg himself was a unique personality, a great thinker, an educator. There's definitely a lot to say about him, but when he passed away, Rabbi Yaakov Kolevsky became the Rashi Yeshiva. In fact, um, I heard this from a great and dedicated uh, Jewish History Soundbites listener recently. He told me that um, that when Rabbi, when, when Rabbi Yaakov Kolevsky became uh, Rashi Yeshiva, so someone... Uh, went over to him and wished him a mazel tov. You became Rosh Hashiva. And Rav Kolevsky's, his response was, um, you're wishing me mazel tov for becoming Rosh Hashiva? I want to tell you the Rosh Hashiva is dead. Meaning Rav Shmuel Yaakov Weinberg had passed away and, and he's, he's, he was the Rosh Hashiva. And, you know, whatever they asked me to do, that was Yaakov Meshe Kolevsky. He was a very incredible individual. He was born in Chicago, but he grew up in St. Louis. And his parents sent him to study in Chicago in the 1940s when Reb David Lifshitz, before he joined Reitz uh, in New York, he was a Rebbe in Hebrew Theological College in Chicago. He became a close student of Reb David Lifshitz, and later on he moved to Tervidas. Uh Kolevsky, as a young bacher, he learned by Reb Shlema Hyman, uh, who was still alive at the time. And then, incredibly enough, he was drafted into the United States Army, despite the fact that divinity school deferments were officially given, but there were some cases where uh, they, they still drafted yeshiva students to make sure that they were, uh, that they were serious or whatever it was, is a whole story, but there were some yeshiva students who were drafted, but he was not sent overseas. He ends up eventually, after he's uh, released from the army, he went back to Taravadas, and uh, and eventually based Medrash Elyon and Munsi in the early years where he studied by, uh, became a student of Reb Ruben Grzovsky. And, uh, and then in the early 1950s, he becomes a Rebbe in Yisrael. And he was someone who loved giving shir, loved teaching Torah. He had deep, uh, um, tremendous concentration when he would teach Torah of Yaakov Meshikolevsky. He was a tremendous Talmud Chacham. He was um, a one of the boichens, a tester for the smicha in Ner Yisrael. He was an expert on mikvois, um, on halacha. He sat on the Bezdin in Baltimore. And he became the Rosh Hashiva, like I mentioned, after Rabbi Weinberg uh, passed away. Um, as far as the mashgichim in the yeshivas, there was an early mashgiach, very interesting story. There was a fellow by the name of Yitzchak Barachson. And he was the mashgiach there during the, during the war years, during the 1940s. He was actually Rashiva in the Yeshiva, Ar Yisrael Yeshiva in Slabatka, which was like a, a prep, a prep Yeshiva, younger students in Slabatka that Rabbi Isaac Sher originally started, Rashiva in Slabatka, um, to, as a prep school for the Slabatka senior Yeshiva. And he had come uh, a few months or a year before the war. He had come to the United States to collect. And this Rabitzik Barson is stuck in America when the war breaks out. And unfortunately, his family almost entirely got wiped out. He had a daughter who survived and moved to Eretz Yisrael after the war. And he himself, after the war, moves to Eretz Yisrael, became a mashgiach in the Lomji Yeshiva in Petach Tikva. In fact, uh, Reb Chaim Kanievsky, as far as I understand, considers himself a, a student of his, a Talmud of his. He was a tremendous Baal Musar. 
and um, and he was a mashgiach in the early years. In the early years, like I said, one of the local rabbanim, Rab Shimon Schwab, gave shiurim in the yeshiva. Rab Mardukai Gifter for a period of time um, before he was uh, Rashivan tells gave shiurim in the yeshiva. Um, uh, the great uh, uh, Polish Hasidic rabbi who was in Baltimore, Michal Forschlager, used to daven in their Yisrael during the early years. When Rav Herzog, Rabbi Isaac Halevi Herzog, the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael, he came to visit during the war. So he gave, he came to Neri Yisrael. Uh, he stopped there. Blazer Silver, whenever he was in town, the Rav in Cincinnati, the head of the Abedus Rabbanim, he would come and say a shir occasionally in the yeshiva. Rabbi Cutler, during his the early years that he was in America, was invited to come and say a shir in, in the Neri Yisrael yeshiva. What happened was is that it kind of backfired because this, the next Zman, right after that, uh, a whole bunch of Talmidim of Neri Yisrael left the yeshiva to go learn by Rabbi Aaron Cutler in Lakewood. They were so in awe and inspired by Rabbi Aaron Cutler. And one of those Talmidim was actually Shmuel Kamenetsky, who was a student in Neri Yisrael, and then from there transferred to Lakewood to learn by Rabbi Aaron. One of the famous alumni of the early, of, one of the famous alumni of the early years was the future president of Agudas Yisrael, Rabbi Shisharer. In fact, uh, Rabbi Shisharer, who was a close Talmud of Rabbi of, of, of Yisrael, of Rabbi Ruderman, so when later on, when he, uh, by the 50th anniversary dinner, or uh, I mentioned earlier, a whole uh, event that they had for the 50th anniversary of the yeshiva, so Rabbi Shisharer was one of the speakers. So the one who introduced him said, that uh, when Ramesh Shishara was studying at the yeshiva during those early years, so there was a Naguda Malava Malka in Baltimore. And the boys in the yeshiva were discussing, should they go and attend this Aguda Yisrael Malava Malka? And uh, Rav Ruderman said, no, it's it's Bittul Taira. We're not going to Aguda Malava Malka. And Rav Ruderman was involved in Aguda Yisrael. And he, so he said, and without further ado, I introduced the president of Aguda Yisrael, Ramesh Shishara, to come speak at this uh, event of the 50th anniversary. Um, so that's um, a little bit about the Rebbeim of the yeshiva and um, in the early years and other personalities who were uh, there in Neri Yisrael in the early years. And we're going to continue with part three, uh, going on with more about the Rebbeim of the yeshiva and some stories about Rav Ruderman. So this was Yehudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at y, at Yehuda Geber at YehudaGeber.com, G-E-B-E-R-E-R. For questions, comments, sources, tours and trips, including virtual tours, check out our website, YehudaGeber.com. You can subscribe to our Jewish History Soundbites podcast and iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Check us out on Twitter uh, at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.